Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Friends, good morning. It's good to be together. On this sixth Sunday of Easter, we have this amazing opportunity again to just soak in the beauty of our faith, to soak in these mysteries, to soak in the amazing truth of the Word made flesh, the central event of all of the history of the universe, that God himself came to rescue us from the powers of sin and death. Just monumental things to keep soaking in. And it's Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day, moms. Give yourselves a round of applause. There you go. It is so good to be together on this day, and uh, just a happy Mother's Day to all the moms, all the grandmothers, all the godmothers. You are so, so, so loved. You are so, so, so loved. I want to do something a little bit different this morning uh, for this homily. I'd like to take the opportunity today to step back and reflect with all of you on just some big, big picture stuff, some big picture stuff. In particular, the theme of femininity and motherhood the theme of our sexual complementarity and its role in salvation history and in Scripture. And I want to talk about the urgent need in our time to rediscover the feminine and the masculine genius, as John Paul II put it. And I want to issue a proposal. Uh, I'm not even going to call it a challenge. I want to just propose something small and and practical uh, going forward. So that's where we're going. It's a lot to bite off and chew on this morning. I think a cursory glance just at the news and the headlines and the cultural trends that are happening in the world around us, it just, it's obvious, at least I think it is, that these themes are so important. This conversation is so needed that we're living through some strange, some very strange times. I think we can all agree we're living through some very strange times, some unprecedented times. Like, for example, where I remember... Super Bowl commercials with uh, Bud Light and Budweiser, just American horses, golden retrievers, and now Budweiser has teamed up with a man named Dylan Mulvaney, who identifies as a woman who is now their new spokeswoman. And Dylan Mulvaney is saying that in an interview recently, he said that I one day will be a mother. Very confused, very confused man. We got, in our day and age, we've got top female athletes in all their sports being decimated, being beaten by trans women, that's men who identify as women, the top athletes in these sports. Think of uh, Leah Thomas, that swimmer, NCAA champion swimmer who beat all of these women. Or think of CeCe Telfer, she's a track, excuse me, he's a track champion who goes by this name CeCe Telfer. UFC fighter Fallon Fox or Olympic powerlifter Laurel Hubbard. All of these are men identifying as women, destroying women in their sports, claiming all these new records, all of these things. All these spaces that used to be protected for women are disappearing. And anybody who stands athwart to this, anybody who says anything against this is labeled as hateful and bigoted and you're a danger to society and you ought to be canceled. So where's all this coming from? Where is all of this coming from? Why is femininity being mocked? Why is it being erased? Why is it being... Uh, why is this happening? Ultimately, ultimately, it's because the enemy, the enemy, 
hates our humanity, and he hates in particular femininity. He hates women. He hates motherhood. Why? Let's back up. Because femininity, my dear friends, is the crown jewel of creation. My sisters, if you've never been told this, if you've never heard this, it's about time you hear it from a priest that you, as women, are the apex, the crown jewel of creation. If you look at Genesis 1, if you look at how God is creating, he's creating things in ascending levels of complexity and beauty, which means the last to arrive on the scene is the pinnacle of all of it. She's the grand finale. Eve is the last in execution, meaning she's the first in intention. She was who God was saving the best for last. Woman is the crown jewel of creation. Eve, compared to Adam, Adam is made from the dust of the earth, right? God gathers the dust, breathes into his nostrils, and becomes a living being. But Eve is made from Adam's side, not from mud, not from dust. She's made from something that already contains within itself an even higher degree of perfection. The mystery of our creation is male and female and the call of the two to become one flesh that you see right there at the beginning in Genesis in this life-giving marital union was meant by God to be a sign, an icon in the visible realm of creation of the covenant of love between heaven and earth, between God and humanity. That our sexual complementarity, masculinity, femininity, it is significant Compared to a culture in a world that says it's insignificant, we're here saying it is so significant. It is a profound sign that reveals the most profound truths because when God made an image of himself in creation, he didn't just make a man, he didn't just make a woman, he made a couple whose bodies and souls are complementary and reciprocally ordered towards each other in a life-giving union, in a complementary way. That God has literally carved He has carved the mystery of his Trinitarian love, that he is himself this endless exchange of life and love. He's carved that into our flesh as men and women. He's written it right into our bodies, and he's revealed through our bodies the story that he's telling in salvation, namely that he intends to unite himself to us. He intends to give himself to us. He intends there to be this embrace. That's what all this is about. That in this rubric, the way that God has set this up, that God himself is the giver and the initiator of the gift of creation. Everything comes forth from him. He gives the gift of creation, the gift of redemption, salvation. In just a few weeks when we celebrate Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of, the Lord and giver of Life, divine life, is poured down and out and into creation. And humanity, in response to this bridegroom, humanity stands in the posture of the bride. The one who is supposed to be open to the gratuitous flow of love that comes from God. That's who we are. Men and women combined. John Paul II, so I'm not making it up. John Paul II, St. John Paul II, he wrote in his encyclical letter to women, Mulieris Dignitatum, I quote, In the church, every human being, male and female, is the bride, in that he or she accepts the gift of the love of Christ, the Redeemer, and seeks to respond to it with the gift of his or her own person. In other words, woman is the archetype of humanity. Again, my dear sisters, if you've never heard this, I'm sorry, but it's true. I'm sorry you've not been told. 
You are the archetype of humanity. Your whole, in your whole being, you were made by God to be the visible sign of creaturely receptivity to the gift. Openness. Openness to receive the gift of life and love and to conceive it and to bear it forth. This is who Eve was meant to be. The sign of openness and receptivity to the gift. This is why the enemy goes after her. Not because she's weak, but because she's the receptive one. That's why he goes after her. And he goes after her because of hatred. Right? The fallen angel Lucifer, right? The enemy not only hated our first parents, but he hated them because of who they were pointing to. Right? The first Adam and the first Eve were signs that were pointing to the new Adam and the new Eve, right? Jesus and Mary, the new Adam and the new Eve of the new covenant. Because you see, before God created the material world, he gave all of the angels a semblance, a vision of the plan that he was going to be unfolding in time. I want to show you what I'm going to do. And he showed them essentially that in the fullness of time, he would join his nature to one of these creatures. And in this creature, the word would become flesh. In other words, he showed them her. And out of envy for her, out of hatred and rage against her, the angels fell. They said, non serviam, I will not serve this plan. This is putrid. This is below us. He was filled with rage. In his book, The Virgin Mary and the Devil in Exorcisms, it's by a priest named Father Francesco Bamonte. In this book, he, he compares church dogma and church doctrine, things that we teach officially and magisterially. He compares these things to things that have been expressed by possessed people in ritual exorcism to look at what do the demons corroborate in terms of our church teaching. And this is what he wrote in one of these. On one occasion, the demon says this. She, meaning her, Mary, is only flesh. I am pure spirit. I am pure spirit. She is not. She, higher than me? No, I could not bear that she would be next to him. I could not bear that a human creature would be above me because I was the most beautiful angel. Beautiful. Beautiful. I was the greatest. I was Lucifer, the angel par excellence. And so he attacked and he seduced, and he has continued to attack and continue to seduce. My dear sisters, there is an enemy who hates femininity, who hates your femininity, because motherhood, the feminine genius, the capacity to receive and conceive and bear forth new life is the icon that reveals the entire Christian mystery. Your bodies tell the whole story. Like, we are all called, men and women alike, we are all called to open our hearts, to receive, to drink deeply of the love that comes from the Lord, and to let that take root to, as Jesus says, some seed finds fertile soil. We are meant to be, our hearts are meant to be the fertile soil in which the seed of divine love takes root, germinates, grows, and we are meant to bear that forth into the world. We are called to do what Mary did. Every single person, man and woman alike. And you, my dear sisters, are the constant sign of that. Your femininity is the constant reminder of that. 
But even more so, my dear sisters, regardless if you've ever conceived a child or born a child in your own womb, every woman, by, by virtue of being a woman, you are a perpetual reminder to the enemy that his defeat came through a lowly handmaiden. He looks at you and he's reminded of her foot that crushed his head. This is why he hates you. Because you remind him of her. Friends, there is no religion in the world that more highly esteems women than Catholicism. It's just, there's nothing that comes close. Like the highest soul in heaven, we declare this, the highest soul in heaven is not a priest, it's not a deacon, it's not a bishop, it's not a pope. The highest soul in heaven is a mother. It's a woman. In the scriptures, her entire femininity is, is what gets praised and blessed. Blessed are the breasts from which he nursed. Blessed is the fruit of your womb, these visceral icons of her femininity. That is what is declared blessed. Every generation will call me blessed. Friends, masculinity, femininity, these are the great theological icons that God created to reveal and to speak these deep and mysterious truths about our creation and redemption and ultimate destiny that our bodies were made by God to tell this story. And over the Christian centuries, as the church grew and organically developed with this theology, the church concretized it, embodied it, ritualized it, and gave it expression in the liturgy. In other words, the way that we worship, how we worship, every detail and gesture of our worship is designed to reveal these mysteries. It taps into these mysteries. For example, just a small example. So in the general instruction of the Roman Missal, which is the instruction book that tells priests how to celebrate Mass, in the general instruction of the Roman Missal, for example, it says that it is most fitting that when the priest celebrates Mass, he uses a chalice veil on the chalice. That's that cloth that goes over the chalice. It's an ancient custom that goes back centuries, like a long time ago. And this little gesture, this little thing that's just like, why are we doing that? It embodies all of these mysteries that I'm talking about because the chalice, it represents the bride. It represents the bride. It represents Mary, she who is the open vessel of longing, who mystically receives the substance of the Son into her open womb. His precious body and blood, she holds the substance of the Son in her openness. And if the chalice is the bride, if the chalice is Mary, then of course it is most fitting that it would be veiled. Not because it's bad, but because it is so good, because it is so holy. And then the priest, in persona Christi Capitis, in the person of Jesus Christ himself, the bridegroom, is the one who unveils the chalice and brings the chalice to the altar where things of heaven are wed to those of earth, where this union happens. This is what is... You guys with me? I know this is a lot. You with me? All right, good. Think about this. In nearly every depiction of the Blessed Mother, what is she wearing? A mantle, a veil. Huh? From Guadalupe to Lourdes to Fatima to Nock to Cabejo, every apparition of Our Lady, every depiction of Our Lady, she is veiled. Her femininity is revealed to us veiled. And doesn't every woman, my dear sisters, doesn't every woman sense intuitively, I am a gift, that I am a mystery, a deep mystery to be unveiled. I am the master of my mystery to be unveiled. Or now think of 
Think of all those little girls who were coming here for their first communion, wearing white dresses and veils. And what do they look like? Little brides. And that's right. Mystically, theologically, sacramentally, because they're coming forward to receive the bridegroom. And then years from now, there'll be big brides wearing longer dresses and still wearing veils. And if they're making the profession of vows, they will be dressed as brides, wearing veils. Because they're so bad. No. <laughs> because they're so holy. Because it's a sign of goodness and beauty and dignity. Even the tabernacle and traditional tabernacles there used to be a curtain veil. When you open the doors, there used to be a curtain right inside the tabernacle. Why? Because Mary is the new tabernacle of the new covenant. Friends, in our faith, we veil that which is most holy and most sacred and most precious and most beautiful. That which points to Mary. That's what we veil. So my friends, my dear sisters, this is, here's the proposal. As our culture and our world grows increasingly androgynous and confused, throwing off all that is masculine and all that is feminine, erasing this distinction, saying it doesn't matter, it's all fluid, Christ's church, this church, must become an oasis of sanity where the goodness of masculinity and femininity is seen and felt and celebrated, where the distinction is made clear that it is good to be a man, that it is good to be a woman. It is very good, as Genesis says, that this distinction is not for the sake of dominance. The distinction is for the sake of communion and love and life and intimacy. This is why, this is why it was the custom for centuries in our church that women celebrating and owning their femininity would wear the most beautiful veils when coming to Mass. A very visible and tangible outward sign to be reminded that your femininity is so good, that it is so powerful, that it is so beautiful, that you possess such a dignity, that you are the pinnacle of creation, that you are a a sign of the bride of Christ, that you are an image of Mary, a perpetual reminder to the devil of his defeat, and you are a perpetual sign to the entire church that our entire mission is one of openness and receptivity before the gift. That's why. Over the last many decades, the church has suffered this self-inflicted memory wound, like deliberately forgetting all of these rich traditions and our heritage, but like those very traditions, those very customs that were just stuffed away and put in the attic of the church, those very things are so deep and so rich and so meaningful. And they make sense and they developed in order to help us understand the story and who we are and who he is and how we're all supposed to relate. Like, my dear sisters, hear me very, very clearly. Please, I am not demanding, I'm not begging, I'm not insisting that you all go after Mass to veilsbylily.com and buy up her entire inventory. As your father, as your brother in Christ who loves you deeply, I'm just simply asking you to think about all this, to consider it, 
Because look, if the mass stops looking and feeling grand, if what we do here basically feels like what we do anywhere else, then we will eventually conclude that it isn't grand. If the Eucharist ceases to be surrounded by all of these outward signs of lavish, prodigal symbolism, we'll eventually conclude that it is mundane and pedestrian. If it loses all the signs of romance and grandeur, we will eventually conclude that it is merely something that we do and not the wedding of heaven on earth. If masculinity and femininity lose all their outward signs, we will lose sight of the distinction and the glory that the distinction points to. So my dear sisters in Christ, moms, grandmas, godmothers, you are incredible. You are so loved. You are so cherished. You are so precious. You are so valuable. And you are so powerful. Thank you, women, for just being women. The feminine genius is the greatest gift. next to Jesus himself, that the Lord gave humanity. You are so loved. So friends, let us turn now to our mother, the queen of heaven and earth, and let us ask for her intercession for us, for our church.